Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. What leads a traditional missionary to use a house church model? We'll talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Mission Show, episode 174, with Bob Lidfors. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for joining us today. We want to see the body of Christ fully connected and engaged in what God's doing. And I'd also like to say thanks to Scott McClelland, who is our engaging announcer, This week, we're going to be talking about planting churches, leadership training, stepping out in faith when the funding doesn't seem to be there, and also how God came through, uh, about starting off the day right. We're also going to have our next installment of Engaging Missions Trivia. We're going to talk about one way that God is reaching Muslims, and we're also going to have our next installment of Stories from Mongolia. So sit down and hang on for the ride. I think this is going to be a good one. All right, let's get started. Today, I am super excited to have Bob Lidfors with me, coming to us from Germany, where he moved with his family and his wife back in 1982 to plant churches. While there, he started a a church, and he led it for about seven years or so before he turned it over to his German counterparts. Then he went and started an evening Bible school. He led that for about 17 years, and then across these years, he's also worked with some folks in India and Uganda on leadership training and humanitarian projects. So, Bob, that's a mouthful to share. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm glad to have you, and I really appreciate your flexibility in getting this scheduled. As I think about kind of getting started, do you mind telling us a little bit about a little bit more about who you are and what you do, and maybe just a couple sentences? Yeah, well, I came in 1982. As you mentioned, it's my ministry has developed over the years and changed. But there's a connection between what I do in Germany and in the developing countries like India and Uganda, because I desire to to see Germans motivated and equipped for for missions. So even when I was leading the Bible school, missions was an important aspect of the Bible school training. So it it all fits together in one way or another, even though at first glance it looks like it's kind of uh, separate. Yeah, that, that's great. So if, if I'm thinking about that, then when you started getting involved with the folks in India and Uganda, were you immediately also involving your German counterparts? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, the first trip I ever made to India, I was accompanied by one of the men in my church. Wow. And I always try and I try and bring a team or at least another person with me whenever I go on these trips. Wow. That. Yeah, that's great. So I'm thinking about this, and now I'm. if I do the math right, it's about 25 or 26 years. I'm, I'm kind of slow at math right now in the, in the morning uh, that you've been in Germany. During that time, I'm, I'm sure that you've faced some challenges. You've had to walk in faith. Would you mind sharing with us maybe a time when you had to walk in faith or continue in your faith? 
Sure. Actually, it's been 34 years. Okay. But. Yeah. Like I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's uh, even just coming to Germany. I was in business before I went into ministry and felt called into to missions. When I gave up my job and decided to move, I'd already moved out of the house that I was in and had my tickets ready uh, to go to Germany with my family. I still didn't have any clear financial commitments by my church or people. I, some said they would support us, but didn't say how much. And so we really didn't know if we had the level of support that we would need. This is nowadays people normally don't go into missions like that, but yeah. that's how I did it. <laughs> and uh, my wife and I have seen God be uh, faithful to us over the years in many ways. Uh, times when it has seemed like things were really tight, God has just come through. I, I remember two times, actually. This is several years ago before we even had emails and internet. We were still using fax machines back then. My wife and I were talking about the fact that the finances looked pretty pretty tight for the next few weeks. And I don't think we even had started praying yet. And I began hearing a click, click, click of our fax machine. Hmm. And my, my dad was sending me... A, a fax saying that, that our ministry organization in Minnesota had just received, you know, a, a sizable donation from someone in South Korea. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, that, that took care of us for the next few weeks. <laughs> and uh, that happened twice, actually. So it's, it's, we've just seen God be faithful in different ways like that. And it's really been encouraging. Man, that's great. So as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about the scripture that says that God will answer before you even ask. And man, right, that's, right. <laughs> I, I don't know that I've ever heard of that being fleshed out that way. That's, that's really powerful. Yeah. As you think about your life and your ministry, what you've been doing over the last 34 years plus, is there maybe a foundational scripture or something that kind of shapes how you approach ministry? Yeah, there's a, a scripture that I'm often drawn back to that means a lot to me. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, and I'll just read it for you if I may. Yeah. Verses 26 through 29, it says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And this scripture means a lot to me because it, it describes the situation when I started the church back in it was 1985, actually, by the time I started the church in Fürth, Germany, next to Nuremberg. Many of the people in our church came from, you might say, lower socioeconomic backgrounds. They weren't the movers and shakers of society. Mm -hmm. And God began with those people. And, you know, he, he loves them. He wanted and he used them. And they, they weren't people that were strong in the eyes of the world or wise in the eyes of the world. And similar in the countries that I work in, the developing countries, India and Uganda, it's a privilege for me to work with indigenous workers in those countries who many people would consider to be weak and lowly, but God uses them in powerful ways. A brother that I work with in Uganda, 
God uses him to start churches. He's he's planted and is now overseeing about 140 churches in East Central mm. Africa. And the two men I work with in India, they have children's homes. One is actually a children's village with about 3,500 kids. And the other one is a smaller children's home, but God has used him traveling in many parts of India, ministering to many different groups. And I've just seen how God has used people that the world would consider weak and lowly in powerful ways. And that's so encouraging. Wow, that, that's that's really interesting. As you're sharing that, I was thinking about asking about how you'd seen God do that, and you, you went right into sharing yeah. that. So that's that's really good. As you think about your, your life and your ministry, are there maybe any particular habits or anything that really is kind of foundational in what God has done in your life? There's something that I started doing very regularly maybe two, three years ago. I had done it actually years before as well, but maybe then kind of let it slide for a while. And that is the very first thing I get up in the morning after I brush my teeth, of course, <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is to have a time of, of worship. Mm. And I don't know how others are. Maybe you know, some people can just jump out of bed and they're bright and perky and ready to go. But that's not me. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> so I start a little slower and, you know, maybe things don't seem quite right, you know, getting out of bed and having, having to leave the covers and all that. But when I begin to worship, I focus my attention on God and it changes my whole attitude. And it starts the day in such a, a wonderful way compared to just, you know, doing something else and then later on getting on to having your devotions. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I'm, I do every day virtually. And it's it's been a real strength to me. Well, that's good. So you're you're totally speaking my language. I have to get up before everybody else. I have to get a little bit of that time in, or I'm just not yeah. prepared to love people even close to what Jesus would have, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> especially early in the morning. So yeah, as you think about the last maybe few months or so, is there anything that God's been showing you or teaching you over the last few months? About a year and a half ago, we came in contact with a house church network in the United States called Luke 10. Mm. And uh, it really resonated with us. We'd begun working with them. And one of the things that they emphasize is the importance of deep heart relationships with each other and with God. And this has become very important to me. It's something that we practice. We started a house church then about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and we're practicing that there. Sharing on a deep heart level with each other, we, we call it checking in, mm -hmm. sharing where, what emotions we're feeling and why, and then having a time of waiting on God, maybe five, ten minutes just to see what God has to say to us. And in this way, we're developing these deep heart relationships with one another and with God. And that has really become a focal point of, of my my life and ministry, I would say. Wow, that's great. With that, we are going to need to transition to our first break. And when we come back, I think we're going to focus a little bit more on the, the ministry. I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about another podcast that I think that you should check out. If you enjoy the Engaging Missions show, you definitely want to check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland. He's been a guest on the show, he's a friend of the show, and he's just recently finished up a series where he was on location in Thailand talking with some missionaries there about leadership. I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion. You can check that out at fxmissions.com. I think it's worth worth your time to at least give it a second to check it out. 
All right, we're back with Bob Lidfors. We've been sharing a little bit about what's been going over the last 35 or 34 years, rather, and then some recent changes. Now, Bob, I know that you've, you're taking people with you. You're involving the German believers in what you're doing in India and Uganda, and I would assume that you're also integrating them into your church at home and things like that. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about what it is that you're doing in your ministry now? The main areas right now are church planting in Germany in a different way than I did originally. And this time it's by starting house churches. I'm involved in starting a house church network in Germany and have a couple in Stuttgart that's working with us as well. They have their own house church there. In fact, they've started a second one recently. And we are developing a website and hoping to expand the house church network throughout Germany, particularly for people who might feel disenfranchised by the traditional type church for whatever reason, where they want a more personal kind of experience. So that's what I'm doing in in Germany. And in India, there are two men I work with who both have these children's homes I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. I also do a leadership training for the people that they work with. They're, they're also evangelists and church planters, so often I do leadership training seminars when I go there. And I've brought teams both from Germany and from the United States to India, brought medical teams to do mobile clinics in villages. I've done that, I think, three times in Uganda as well, hmm. where uh, we've had teams of well, at least a dozen people that I brought along and then the indigenous people that support the, the outreaches. So we've gone into hard-to-reach villages and where your vehicles tend to get stuck <laughs> because the, the roads are so poor. But we've been able to minister to people who normally don't get medical care. So it's And, of course, share the gospel with them as well. So that's something. And in Uganda particularly, I'm involved in another aspect of medical work. Uh, my contact there started a, a Christian hospital a few years ago. 2013 it opened up actually. And we're helping him to expand that hospital, raising finances for that. We brought a, a work team one time before the hospital opened its doors. Uh, we've sent containers of used hospital equipment down to Uganda from Germany. Three times we've sent containers. Mm. So um, that's an important part of the ministry, too. Those are the main things that I'm doing right now. Well, yeah. well, that's great. You know, as you're sharing, I was just thinking, it seems like a lot of times when we talk to a missionary or a ministry leader, it, it can sometimes feel like they end up having to operate like a lone ranger, that they end up having to do a lot of things themselves. And one of the things I so appreciate about what you're sharing is your ability and your heart to to involve indigenous people where they are and also to bring some people over with you. Has, has it always been that way? Most of the time, I try and bring someone with me. It doesn't happen all the time. If I'm invited to speak at my Ugandan contacts leadership training school, for example, I might go there just myself because it's basically teaching for two weeks there. Mm. But if, if we go out like he... He says, if we go up country, <laughs> out <laughs> rural areas, <laughs> then I, I virtually always bring someone with me because there are more things that they can be involved in then. Wow, that, that's great. So thinking about this over the years, I'm certain that there have been challenges. You've shared a little bit about some in the, in the previous section. When things get tough, what is it that fuels your passion and keeps you going? What really fuels my passion is the opportunity to work with 
younger leaders or those who are preparing for ministry. They have many years of ministry ahead of them. And I, I feel privileged to minister to them because in that way I can multiply my ministry. I'm not just going there and doing something, but I'm investing in other people, hopefully things that they will apply in their lives and their future ministry. And in that way, I, I multiply my ministry. And that that's what really excites me. Wow. So you shared that you invest in, in young leaders. How do you identify these leaders and you start going, okay, these are the people I should invest my, my efforts in? Well, fortunately, I have my contacts in those countries, and they do that part of the job. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they know, you know the people that God has called into service in some way, or those who have really been faithful in their churches and, and have a desire to, to be trained and to, to serve God. So, for example, the, my contact in Uganda, he has a leadership training school in the uh, capital of Kampala there at his main church there. There's a group of you know, maybe between 15 and 20 that he will have that go through a two-year course. So I come and teach there sometimes. Or he also has the uh, churches that he works with in the outlying areas and in other countries in Africa as well, where um, we'll be out in the rural areas and he'll have leaders there. And then we'll just have perhaps a two or three day seminar and work with them. And similarly in India, the men I work with there, they have their contacts uh, from the local churches. And so they'll bring together leaders and we'll have training seminars there as well. Wow. I, I just so appreciate the depth of your partnership and your humility as you walk in these. Being an American, I, I have a sense sometimes that we can kind of try and go in and take things over. And I appreciate that you're working with them, that you're submitting yourself to the list of people that they see start with these people. That's, that's huge. Well, it's, it's, it's my basic way of approaching ministry. Also, I don't think I could do it any other way because my contacts are indigenous. They know the culture, they know the people. I never go in and start a project in any of these countries, whether it's a hospital or an orphanage or anything like that. I don't go in and start that. I'm, I've been blessed to, to find faithful indigenous people and they receive a vision from God, and they initiate it. In fact, <laughs> the orphanage, the first orphanage in India began in an interesting way. My contact there asked me one time when I was doing evangelism and leadership training with him, he just asked me, um, how, how would a person go about starting an orphanage? Mm. And I said, well, usually what people do, they'll look for sponsors who will you know, people, Christians who will be willing to sponsor a child for X number of dollars per month and then uh, raise support that way and then start their orphanage. That's all I said. <laughs> well, the next time I came, which was maybe a year later or so, he had 25 kids there. Wow. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he never told me any. He said, you're going to be surprised when you come. <laughs> so he surprised me with an orphanage with uh, 25 25 kids. And that has now grown to this children's village of 3,500. But anyway, I, I, I am most effective if I can just support local people in what they're doing rather than coming in and trying to start uh, some sort of project or organization myself. 
Wow, that that's good. So I'm thinking about your involvement with these young leaders, and you know, there are a couple. Mm-hmm. One thing that young leaders very often don't have is a, a long breadth of perspective, but a lot of times they have a lot of passion and vision for the future. As you're involved mm-hmm. with these young people, how does that refresh your vision for what's coming? Yeah, certainly. When you're when you're in that environment, uh, even just a teaching environment, even classroom, you 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 can sense some of their enthusiasm well you go go to africa and they have a worship time before you start teaching and i don't know if you've ever been to africa but (laughs) just once (laughs) but it's quite exciting the way they worship (laughs) so it's just it's just good to be in that environment see that there are young people who sense the call of god in their life and are preparing themselves and are willing to commit themselves to serving god which is probably not the the greatest career in a worldly sense. Right. They probably do better in some secular job, but they're willing to do that because God has gripped their hearts. And of course, that that's something that motivates me as well then. That's good. So we're coming up on our second break. I just have one more question I was going to ask, and that's mm-hmm. if you could do it all over again, is there one thing that you would do differently? You know, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He sent out the 70 mm-hmm. one time. He sent them out two by two. And I think I would have tried to link up with a ministry partner in Germany earlier. I mean, I my wife and I were together, of course, but I, I think it would have been more effective either if I would have gone to Germany with another couple from the States or, or linked up with a, a German who would, would have been involved directly in ministry. I've, I've involved Germans in what I've been doing all the time, but it's more, I've been the leader and they, I've, I've brought them into, to the, the ministry I've been doing. So I think I would have done that earlier. And I'm very glad that now when I'm doing this house church planting work, that I have this couple in Stuttgart who works with me and my wife. So they're a real strength in the work. Wow, that's that's great. With that, we are going to take our second break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward our listeners. It's time to expand our knowledge of missions with Engaging Missions Trivia. Last week's question was, what is the most popular book about missions on Amazon? The answer to that is The Insanity of God. This week's question is, are most missionaries fully funded before they begin their ministry? You can tweet your answer to at Engaging Mission using the hashtag EMTrivia to enter to win a copy of the book, The God Ask. I actually gave away several copies of that book last year, and I think it's been very valuable for people as far as raising funds. You don't need it for yourself. That's no problem. You can just let me know where I should send it. It'll be a Kindle version, so I'll just need an email address. And if it's not for you, it'd probably be great if the person who is going to get it knows that it's coming. But again, if you're interested in entering to win The God Ask, tweet your answer to are most missionaries fully funded before they begin their ministry to at Engaging Mission using the hashtag EMTrivia. And if that's hard for you to remember or something, just stop by the show notes page. I'll have a tweet there ready for you to go. You'll just have to fill in the answer. All right, we're back with Bob Lidfors. What he's shared in the last section certainly ministered to me, and I, I believe it will be list- ministering to you as well. Now we're shifting our focus one last time more toward you as the listener. So, Bob, what would you share with somebody who's feeling stuck or be- beginning to wonder if what they're doing in business or ministry really matters in the kingdom? Well, speaking first to the topic of business, 
I want to say that I, I see there's a very great significance of having what you know what is called marketplace ministry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people think, well, you have to be in full-time ministry to serve God. Well, that's not true. God needs people in every walk of life, in every aspect of society. He needs them in business and politics and in education. He needs them everywhere. The people that are working in these spheres of, of life have contacts that a full-time minister just doesn't have. So I don't want anyone to feel that it's not significant to be involved in business or whatever other occupation you're in. If you're not in full-time ministry, you, you have a very significant role to play in God's kingdom. I was in business for nine years before I entered into ministry, but I felt God's call on my life. And I, I realized if I didn't enter ministry, when I reached the end of my life and looked back, I would feel like I missed out. Mm. I'd feel like I missed on what God had prepared for me. So that was my calling. But I had worked in the business that my father had started. And my brother, who was younger than I, he started working a few years later than I did. And he ended up taking over that business. For my brother, that business is God's calling for his life. And he is leading that business as a Christian. He's practicing Christian principles in his business. And he's serving God through that. And it's his calling. Mm. And so it's, it's just as important as me going to India and Africa, because it's what God has called him to do. For those who are in ministry, I would say you just don't know the influence that your life in ministry has upon other people. You don't know how you've affected other people. Mm. I just have one example When I started this uh, church in Germany, I had been at another church in a neighboring city for almost a year, and I had thought that I would become involved there, but it it just didn't really work out that I had a lot of opportunity. I I suppose the the leaders there thought that I was some brash young American (laughs) who thinks he's going to come and take over or something like that, (laughs) and they wanted me to cool my heels for a while, (laughs) so... (laughs) But it just seemed like there was no open door. So I ended up starting a church in a neighboring city. I had occasional contact with that church, but not too much in the church I'd been at previously. And then for the couple that had started that church, moved out of the area. The man retired, and so they they moved to another location. And just a few years ago, they came back for a visit. I happened to be at the same service that they were at. And the wife came up to me and and she basically apologized, I guess you'd say, uh, that um, uh, she had misjudged me. And and she said, you know, we've seen over the years that you've become a German to the Germans. And, you know, if she hadn't told me that, I wouldn't have known what was going through her mind and and how it had affected her. And that's just a very small example. But I'm sure there are many other people who who could talk to me and say, uh, you know, your life affected me in this way or that way, and I'll never know about it. Right. And I think uh, this is true of, of anyone who's serving God. So it, we just need to be faithful. You know, it says, you know, it's required of a servant that he be found faithful. And that's the main thing that we need to concern ourselves with. Yeah. Are, are there ministry opportunities that are often right in front of us that we miss? Well, I think there are people 
all around us that have needs. In, in Germany, it's maybe not as much financial needs as in India or in Uganda, for example. Often it's relational needs. They have problems with relationships, marriages, families, or they have interpersonal problems, things that are not obvious just looking at them from the outside. There is a particular ministry here that I know in our area that concentrates on marriages. And people come to them for seminars and counseling and different things. Often it's the wife who brings her husband mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe the wife is a Christian or maybe not. The husband probably isn't. And they come and they get help in their marriage, but it's they're also hearing the gospel through it. They're, they're, it's in a Christian context. They're hearing how Christ is, is necessary in your marriage to, to keep it together. And a lot of these people get saved. Wow. So although it's not an evangelistic meeting or something like that, they probably are as effective or more effective than a lot of evangelists because they're meeting needs that that people don't normally meet and that aren't on the surface. So I think we just need to be aware that there are a lot of needs out there that just are not visible at first glance. Wow. And we need to be sensitive to that. Yeah, you know? that, that's really good. Now, Bob, we're, we're just about at the end of our time, and it looks like, are, are you okay to run over for, for a couple minutes, or do we need to cut this off? Sure, Okay. Sure, sure. I don't want to cut you short, because you're sharing some really good stuff. As you think about our listeners, is there maybe a book or a resource that you'd recommend? There are a couple of books that have really impacted me. One has uh, would be kind of specific to people who are interested in reaching Muslims, mm. and that's called Miraculous Movements. And the author is Jerry Trousdale. And he shares accounts of how God is moving in the Muslim communities in various parts of the world in ways that we just don't read about or hear about here in the West. It's... For matters of security, it's probably better that it's not made so public, yeah. <laughs> but it's a fascinating book, and it, it, it really builds your faith to see how God is moving in, in a culture that seems like it's impenetrable. So that one is good for anyone interested in, in reaching out to Muslims, a book that actually caused my wife and I to get interested in the whole house church idea. Is, it used to be called uh, The Rabbit and the Elephant. I think they changed the title now to Small is Big. And the authors are Tony and Felicity Dale. Okay. And it uh, talks about how they have been working in, in house churches and been, been able to reach out to various subcultures. And that really motivated us to, to become involved in that. Wow, that, that's good. Now, if somebody's listening and they're, they're connecting with what you're sharing and they would like to partner with or support you, what, what's one or two ways that they could partner with or support you? Well, I guess they could get on our email prayer partner list and then they get periodic updates as to what's happening and where, where we need prayer for different situations. I have a, an NGO in Minnesota called Bread of Life Ministries if they're interested in supporting us. But those would be the, the best ways, I think. Okay. Yeah, if you could send links to me, I'd love to make sure that we have that linked up in the show notes for people. And sure. the other question, if you could challenge us to do one thing in the next seven days, what would it be and why? 
Well, I, I, there'd be two things. The one thing I mentioned about worshiping first thing in the morning. Yeah. I would I encourage everyone to do that. But there's one other thing, too, and this would be especially for those who are married, and uh, particularly if they have a believing spouse, but it can even be done to some extent if you don't. And this is, this is how I, my wife and I got started with the house church idea. We began just the two of us, and we, we call it a church of two. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in your midst. Uh, so we do this uh, checking in where we share the emotions that we're feeling, the most significant ones and why. Share that with each other just for a few minutes each, two, three minutes. doesn't have to take a long time. And then we have a time of waiting on God together to see what he has to say to us, maybe about what we've just been talking about or something going on in our lives. And that has enriched our marriage tremendously, mm. as well as our relationship to God. It's, you know, like in any couple, every now and then uh, things, uh, there's some ruffles and, and things aren't going so smoothly <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And if we're honest, we have to admit that. <laughs> and by, by having a regular church of two with my wife, we find we're able to go through those things much easier than we were before. Because we, we're, we have a deeper level of communication that's going on all the time. So I would encourage couples to, to do that as often as they possibly can. My wife and I try and do it every day. It doesn't always work every day, but several times a week. And it, it doesn't have to take more than 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And it's, it's been a tremendous benefit to us. Wow, that's great. My, my wife and I are actually going through the training right now to, to get started with that. We're going oh, through it very, yeah. very slowly uh, because <laughs> we're busy, <laughs> like yeah, nobody else yeah. is, right? But that's something yeah. that I'm hoping that we'll, we'll bring to our marriage as well. Now, for those of yeah. you who are listening, we will have links in the show notes for all of the resources we've talked about. Those will be at engagingmissions.com slash Bob Lidforce. Now, Bob, I do want to respect your time because I know we ran over. I just want to say thank you so much. I can't can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I hope it's a blessing to the people who listen. Well, thanks. I mentioned that we were going to talk about one way to invest in relationships and in reaching Muslims. That's what we're going to talk about right now. I've got a portion of a blog post that I'm going to share from reachingmuslimpeoples.com. This is actually the organization that we've been talking about for a few weeks that is investing in the global body of Christ reaching Muslims. We actually have a fundraiser opportunity. If you're interested in finding out more about that, you can visit engagingmissions.com slash fund16. That's fund and the number 16. This is from a blog post that they published a few weeks ago. And toward the end of the article, I'm just going to read that a little bit for you. Returning to today, we should empathize with those who have been uprooted by war. Many times we take for granted waking up each morning in peace. We may get ready for work and grumble about cleaning snow off the car, which was parked outside because we have too much stuff in the garage. Yet hopefully that snow brush or ice scraper is the most dangerous weapon we'll see all day. Not so for those who have been visited by the red horse of war. America is one country which has historically provided refuge, solace, and a chance to rebuild for those fleeing from the red horse of war. It has been a good place to start over. Currently, many Muslim refugees from war-torn places such as Syria, Iraq, Bosnia, and Afghanistan have come here to start over. Let us pray to God 
that many of these newcomers will indeed have visions of God, even meeting Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'll have a link in the show notes for the full article. There was really some good opportunities there to take it even further, as well as some greater depth in what they were talking about. And again, if you're interested in joining us in helping fund Global Initiative as they train the global body of Christ to engage, to disciple, to evangelize, to share the love of Christ with Muslims, then I'd invite you to visit engagingmissions.com slash fund16. And how about some stories from Mongolia? Last week, we were hearing from Brian Hogan's book about how the way that they passed on the baton as they were leaving the ministry in Mongolia really impacted one man. This week, we're going to hear more about how them passing on the baton impacted how the leaders in the church passed on their ministry. On a Sunday morning in spring 1996, I came with my friend to a large meeting here. There was a lot of happiness and excitement, but it didn't draw me in. Then, towards the end, I saw something I had never seen, never even heard about before. You and some others got up on the stage and did something that stunned me. You handed away real power. You were the leaders of this huge group, and you gave it to these Mongolians and walked away. No one ever does that. I didn't understand what I was seeing, but I knew I had to return. Within a month, I was a disciple, and now, almost ten years later, I am leading in this church. Your disciples followed your example and passed on their leadership as God led them to new works. I wanted to meet you again, and thank you. One of the things I so appreciate about the way Brian and his team approached their ministry was the humility that they had when they passed on leadership, that they they made it very clear that they were passing on leadership. And that had an impact not only on the young man, now an elder, who saw them do that, saw something he'd never seen before. It also had an impact on the leaders they passed the baton to because then they did the same thing. Next week, we're going to hear from Brian about catching up with some old friends at the same conference and some of the things that God had been doing in their lives. I'd like to thank Brian Hogan for making this book available. This is a huge benefit. I really thought it was a great book, and I'm so happy to be able to share it with you. Ordinarily, I wouldn't because of copyright laws, but he's made it available. I do want to mention that He wrote and narrated his own book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, which you can get at audible.com. And if you visit engagingmissions.com slash free book, you can get it absolutely free. It was recorded at Voice of the Martyrs Studios. Brian actually did some of the editing himself. Jeff Butterworth did the final mix and master, and I actually helped a little bit as well. If you have a book that you'd like to make available as an audio book, you can contact Jeff at soundparadigmstudios.co, or if you'd like to talk to me, you can send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com, and we'll start that conversation. I would love to see more books available for those who need to either listen on the go or maybe who can't read because they're visually impaired. I think that would be a great benefit to the body of Christ. Thanks to Bob Lidfors for being with us, Brian Hogan for making his book available, and to you for joining us. Show notes, as always, are available at engagingmissions.com slash 
Bob Lidfors. That's B-O-B-L-I-D-F-O-R-S. That's how you can connect with our guest and find links to valuable resources. Make sure you come back next week when we'll be hearing from T.J. McLeod about the importance of providing sustainable health care in developing nations. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure you don't miss it or any episode. And if you found this valuable, please help us spread the word. You might be the person God uses to create a connection, deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into His kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.